Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the In No Hurry podcast. This is your host, Colt Douglas Claiborne. Happy to be back with you guys with another episode. And this is the first episode of 2023. So I'm excited to kick off what is officially season four of the show. And I'm excited to start this new season off with a guest who's been on here a couple times already. My guest this week is author Barnabas Piper. He was a guest on episode 48 as well as episode 18. The last time we talked was in the fall of 2020, and that conversation is all about writing a book. Obviously, that's a goal of mine, but Barnabas was such a great resource for that. He worked in the publishing field. Now he is an author and just had a lot of good things to say about that. Then our first conversation was in March of 2020, right as the pandemic was starting. So that's interesting to go back and look at where we just had no idea what was going on at the time. Um, But appreciate Barnabas being back on. He's got a new book out that is called Belong, and it is part of a series that is called Love Your Church. And there are a couple other books that you'll hear us discuss that are a part of this series. And he also published a book along with his podcast co-hosts, Uh, within the last year or so, and it's the Happy Rant podcast book. So Barnabas is the co-host of a podcast called The Happy Rant, and it's super humorous, and those guys really do a a fun job, I think, of breaking down different topics and just kind of different elements of Christian culture. And Barnabas and one of their co-hosts are pastors, and the other one is a journalism professor, a writer. They all three are writers, and uh, their book was awesome. You'll hear us talk quite a bit about that. I definitely recommend that. But we're going to talk as well about his new book called Belong that just came out in January, and definitely recommend that you check that out. So this conversation, we talk about what it means to really belong in the context of a church setting and how Christians and churches can make sure that their members do feel like they belong. And just as churchgoers, how we can plug in and kind of make ourselves belong in that environment. I know that's something that my wife and I have really valued being here with our church is getting into a small group and feeling like we have community. But as always, thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy this conversation with author Barnabas Piper. Well, I'm excited to be joined again by Barnabas Piper. I think this is his third time on the podcast and we were just chatting uh Really, it's been a couple of years since you and I have talked, and, and a lot has changed, I guess, in your life since then. Uh, I don't, I actually, I think maybe you even got married since then. When, when did you get married? You, you've had a lot of stuff going on. I guess first, yeah. welcome to the show. But yeah, you've had a lot Thank of stuff you. going yeah. on the last couple of years. Yeah, I feel like when you're when you're uh, on a show for a third time, you kind of skip the niceties <laughs> and you're like, just you just sort of pick up where you left off. Um, yeah. Yeah, I got married mid 2020s. Okay. So I think I think it was a f- so the last time I think I was on the show was a, a, just a few months after that. So it was okay. a pretty new thing. But it was uh yeah, it was that that weird year of uh you know, every shutdowns and the whole, you know, the, the worst of the pandemic. And so it yeah. it feels a really long time ago, even though yeah. <laughs> calendar wise, it wasn't it wasn't that long. Yeah, I think the first time we talked was like right when the the pandemic was starting and we really didn't know the the depth of it and we were kind of like <laughs> yeah we we're kind of like what what's the big deal like what, what and now here we are you know in 2023 knowing what it was but we did, we didn't know at the time so I mean I don't know that we still know what it we, we, we I don't know that we know what it was but we know how it played out at the very that's, least yeah, that's true. so that's true. That, 
and not trying to get political. I just mean like, I don't have any concept of the, the scope of this thing. It was big. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm excited to talk to you today, mostly about a couple of books. You have a new one that just came out called Belong, Loving Your Church by Reflecting Christ to One Another. And this appears to be one of uh, three books in a series. It's a Love Your Church series. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of a cool concept. And then obviously uh, you're uh, a co-host of the Happy Rant podcast and you and your co-host wrote a book uh, together uh, within the last few years. And uh, that that was really interesting. And I guess I'll kind of start with that. that that's I, I haven't got a chance to read Belong yet. I, I just got this in the mail. I'm excited to read it. But I did, uh, I did read the Happy Rant podcast book. And I, I think it was just such a unique book because it was three of you guys uh, talking to each other through the book. And it almost was like, I guess, if you were to take a podcast and put it into what it, what it looked like in a book form, that's what you guys did, which I assume was your intent. Yeah. But uh, it was you and, and Ted Cluck and Ronnie Martin, your co-host of the show, uh, writing a book together. And it, basically, it was a kind of a conglomerate of different topics that you guys talk about on the show, but then uh, kind of going back and forth within the book with your own thoughts. And it was cool because you guys agreed on some things, you disagreed on some things, and the banter that you guys have on the show was there as best as it can be in a book, but just walk right. me through that whole process. I remember I saw you tweet about that, that this was the most fun you've had writing a book. And to me, it was yep. one of the most unique approaches to writing a book. Yeah, it it was, uh, it was the most fun because, because when you bear the responsibility of writing an entire book yourself, you know, you need to have the full outline. It has to be airtight. If there's ever a lull, that's your problem. If you ever run out of something to say, that's your problem. If you're ever wrong, that's your problem. And since this book functioned more conversationally, it was impossible to outline. So we didn't, we didn't, excuse me, we didn't go into it with the intent of saying particular things. How are we going to handle this? It was just sort of like Ted would kick off the topic and I didn't know what was coming my way next. So, you know, Ted Cluck intros each chapter. He, he also functions as sort of the host of the podcast. So he would do that. And then Ronnie or I would jump in and respond. And so you, you just didn't know what was coming until it was posted, you know, sort of posted to a shared Google doc. Yeah. So it was a ton of fun to, to read it and go and, and then have that, that immediate sort of visceral gut reaction of, I love that. I hate that. What in the world is he trying to say, (laughs) you know, whatever it is. And, uh, and it was the first time both of those guys are are excellent writers. You know, both of them are, are, have published several books as well. And so for us, for us to be able to interact in that medium was was a was a cool new thing because we talk often, you know, or mm-hmm. what we do on podcasts. But to be able for Ted to sort of use his story story writing craft mm-hmm. and us be able to respond and so forth uh, was um, was kind of a, a unique fun thing because because you can say things differently and better in writing. You can put a little bit more thought into it. You cut out all of it the fluff, the ums, the uhs, the likes, the stuff that when you listen to yourself, you think, oh, I sound like an idiot. Um, and so it, it kind of tightened that up in a way too. So really fun to do in that way. Stretch. It was a stretch in some ways and it was way easier than other books in some ways. Yeah. I actually listened to the book. Uh, I've been going on a walk every day after work just to kind of get some exercise and I was listening to it on my walks. And and what's cool is all three of you guys read your parts of the book. So mm-hmm. you get to hear your parts in your own voices, which is really unique. I, I love reading, especially Christian books when it's read by the author, because you get to hear their thoughts in their voice. I think it just adds an authenticity level to it, but yeah. it was cool like to hear three different people uh, recording the, 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 the recording their parts of the book. Did you guys do that? Like 
in your own spaces at home and then just send it to the the producer? How, how did that all work where you're recording, uh, I guess? Because you, you, you do the podcast all from different locations. Yeah. So did you do that for the book as well? Yeah, we did it all from different locations, and which is which again is weird because um, it's hard when you're when you're writing a response to something you've read it and you just okay you know what you're trying to say in response. When you're then reading what you've written, you're a couple steps removed, let alone months removed mm-hmm. from the the emotion of it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. It was it was weird in the moment to go. Wait, am I trying to be serious? Am I trying to be funny? <laughs> am I trying to be aggressive? How heated am I about this whole thing? And uh, and so so to get the tone right, but yeah, especially because you're just sort of reading your section, and then a couple pages your next section, and then a couple pages your next section, and some of them are two sentences long because it's just sort of like a pithy comment. So the yeah the uh, audio recording um, experience was weirder than any. I've I've had a chance to read a few of my books. That's a lot easier to do. I would yeah. say so the the writing of this was easier and more fun. The recording of it was less easy and less fun. <laughs> that that does make sense. Did you did you end up reading the full book like as you were recording your parts just to give yourself context of what was said? Because I would think that it'd be hard to read my own just my writing without knowing um what was said before that. Cause it, I mean, right. I couldn't I couldn't tell when I was listening, it sounded like you all were we're right there together, you know, having this conversation. So you did a good job of not making it seem like it was a problem. Well, that's good to hear. No, we, I saw the full manuscript so I could, I could look at what was before mine. Okay. And at this point, you know, by the time you get to an audio recording of a book, you've been through the writing process. You've been through the editing process. You've been through the proof. There's a level of familiarity of what's there. So most of the time it was looking at it and being like, Oh, right, right, right. That was the section. So then it kind of puts you back in the headspace of, of how to record it appropriately with the right tone and, and everything. But uh, but I, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't reading all the way through as much as just looking at that section and going, what what was it? What was I even arguing with here? I don't even remember. <laughs> it, was, it was a year and a half ago. I wrote this. What's what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just I really liked it because you guys have such distinct voices. I mean, each of you guys have different writing styles and, and I and I enjoy all of them. Like I, I enjoy like I'm a journalist and I was a journalism teacher in high school. So there's a lot of that stuff that Ted was talking about in terms of journalism. I'm also from Indiana. So he's talking about growing up in Indiana. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, so many things that he talked about, like I, I could resonate with. And then I've never yeah. met Ronnie, but obviously I've met you. So like, I, I appreciate hearing your voice and everything like that. So it was just a good, it was a good book. And there was a lot of really good topics too. Um, you know, you talked about things from just church culture, how it blends with pop culture. Um, you talked about, you know, pastors kind of dealing with loneliness, which I just saw Ronnie write a blog about that too. There was a lot of topics in this book that, that I think you guys talk about on your show. Was there any you know, two or three that you were really uh, fired up to write about or get to touch on in this book? Um, <clears throat> I think. The ones there, the ones that I was most fired up about are the ones that are the most em, the emotionally divisive. Yeah. Uh, so we we there was a chapter in there on Christians and politics. Yeah. Which before listeners just turn this off and kind of wash their hands of the whole thing, it it the question is more how do Christians do political engagement well, not what should Christians like do in politics, you right. know? Or so it's not a side taking thing as matter as much as a matter of like. Why have we lost the plot line here? Um, so that one, that one, I was, uh, I, I felt particularly, you know, strongly about. <clears throat> and then, um, then the the chapter on manhood, uh, yeah, which 
was equal parts like tongue in cheek and funny because you know you get certain christian manhood guys who every november like to light things on fire and like there's just jokes ready to be made there and then on the other side you're like but also ted is raising sons and i'm raising daughters and ronnie has a grown daughter like what it means to be a christian man and to raise daughters who are you know relating well with them that matters so how do we do this in a in an actual thoughtful parental way as well yeah i i I like the plus plus being christian men Right, exactly. I, I liked that chapter a lot because I think it addressed, you know, a lot of the, I guess, I guess stereotypes. But th- there's there's a few yeah. people in in pop culture now that are trying to once again perpetuate that the only uh, mark of a man is to be this macho, you know, kind of uh, I don't know, tool of a guy essentially. Uh, and, and 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 you <laughs> That's guys, a good way to put it. Well, and like you guys, uh, you guys really talked about just like biblical virtues of a man, you know, like caring for the Mm -hmm. home, caring for the wife, raising daughters and sons. Well, things that like, you know, like I'm five foot seven and 170 pounds. I do not strike uh, visually the mark of a manly man. Cause I'm not ripped, you know, and that like, for some people that's like, yeah, you you, you know, people would make fun of people in my stature, but it's like, you guys were really talking about kind of the mental approach, the emotional approach of men. And even I think a sense of men being vulnerable and how that can be uh, a mark of a man too. So I, I, I liked that because I felt like it was a really measured biblical approach to that. And I think it was a, a needed conversation. I know you guys wrote this book a couple of years ago before this current moment where we have guys, you know, that are in pop culture i won't name any names because i don't want to you know blaspheme people but you know people know who i'm talking about here but there's always somebody like the the current names won't matter in a year or two and there will be new names i mean there's there's this is a this is a cyclical thing where you have culture this secular culture by and large um de-genderizing to create a word where like being a man is is problematic in some ways that mm-hmm. there's sort of that, that narrative. And then you have the Christian pushback on the other side and Christian being a pretty loose term of, you know, like you said, the, the, uh, the stereotypical macho man. And so the marks of manhood are all defined culturally, whether you're claiming to be Christian or not, as opposed to sort of the, the biblical depiction of what, what is a godly man? Mm-hmm. And almost none of it has to I mean, certainly none of it has to do with physicality. Right. In terms of stature or anything like that. And then there's just then there's the character traits. And and so, yeah, we I, I hope and it's, it's it's encouraging to hear you say that we wrote a chapter that just sort of like it it, uh, it can supersede eras. And, mm-hmm. you know, what are the manhood podcasts that all the 23 year olds are listening to right now? Mm-hmm. I don't care. You know, <laughs> it, at some point, people are going to stop listening to Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson. And uh, and hopefully this chapter maintains its truthfulness post the current trends. Yeah, yeah, I I think you put that well. And then one of the others that that I that I really resonated with, uh, I guess, just in the sense that I was fascinated by. Not that I am a Christian celebrity by any sense, but I, you, you guys touched on the idea of Christian celebrity, and I also really liked the the chapter about conferences. That was really funny. But um, talk, talking about <laughs> Christian, to write. talking about Christian celebrity. I mean, I, I've seen several books that have, that have been written in recent you know, in recent years, and even just conversations on Twitter about Christian celebrity culture. Uh, and we've seen, you know, a number of prominent pastors that uh, probably abused their their power or their stature as a, as a pastor or, or just a prominent voice. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you're the son of a very prominent pastor. And I, and I appreciated your approach because you talked about how your father, John Piper, has handled celebrity. And you had a unique approach where you were like, celebrity to me was like, 
I didn't enjoy, you know, uh, you basically had a, you had a, you had a negative connotation to it because it kind of messed yeah. up your childhood a little bit, you know. And so, uh, and your dad is obviously very humble despite the the platform that he has. But there's others that we've seen in the Christian space that have not stewarded that platform well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, where was your heart in writing this? Because I know that you have you have a, a pretty powerful platform, but you don't you don't perpetuate that. You don't market yourself as some big time dude. You just try to stay true to who you are, which I appreciate. Yeah. It, I think, I think my heart in that was, um, to again, try to find that, that third way between there's the, there's the, the drug of celebrity. Mm -hmm. We're just going to snort this and shoot it straight into our veins. And that's the aspiration. And there's some irony in writing a book with two guys. I do a podcast with, so these are all platformy things, right? Writing about how, how, uh, Christian fame is, is kind of an innately bad thing. Yeah. But then I also wanted to avoid the cynicism where it's like, don't trust, you know, kind of the, the mud slinging stone throwing, don't trust the famous guy. Cause like my dad's a famous guy. So at least in our world, I mean, he, he would growing up when I was trying to figure out fame, I would ask him like, you know, are you famous? And he would always say like, I'm a big fish in a really, really small pond, like yeah. fishbowl type of thing. And so he, he had a pretty good handle on what is and is not truly famous. So I think, I think I think I wanted to accomplish a few things. One was to sort of demythologize fame um, in the sense of like it's fame is a byproduct of other things. If fame is the end game, you're accomplishing nothing of value. Yeah. Um, you know, my dad has written whatever, 50 something books and has preached to millions of people. And, you know, even more so with digital distribution of, of sermons and podcasts and whatever else. And that's what matters to him. Mm-hmm. What, what words are on paper, what truth is proclaimed, the numbers are a byproduct, never the goal. Um, he's, not, he's not foolish. He's not unaware of them. But I look at that and I think that that's a better way to approach fame is, is always, what is the message? What's the purpose? And whether there's 120 people in the room or it's a stadium of 60,000 people, you, you pretty much operate the same way because mm-hmm. the truth is the truth and yeah. the message is the message. And uh, and so trying to, I think trying to depict something there that just it it deflates fame a little bit as a as an objective, but also recognizes like it's a thing that happens. It's a mm-hmm. byproduct. Like it's not it's not an immoral thing. It's immoral if it's your goal though. Mm-hmm. because that's purely pride. So just trying to strike that balance and and also to show that being being in in the, you know, if you're the big fish in the small pond or you're part of that family, like it comes with some bummer. Like it's not always awesome to to have to have dinners interrupted and to have, you know, people just raving to you about how great your dad is like 7 minutes after you just had a disagreement with him or whatever. You know, there's just sort of a there's an odd tension there. And again, no, no um, disparagement or disrespect of my dad or of any other famous Christian, but just showing this is a two-sided coin. There's mm-hmm. a benefit, there's a downside, and ultimately it's a byproduct. It's not, it's not an objective. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. If I, you know, just if you're speaking to kind of the average churchgoer uh, that maybe is looking for you know, a new author or, or podcast or pastor to kind of follow and be ministered by. I know a lot of people kind of like to gravitate towards certain writing or something like that. Are there any, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is 
what what are some things that a person can look for in somebody to discern how genuine they are? Because there are some people that I feel like are using the Christian platform to just to to rise to make themselves rise up to the top. Mm-hmm. Their their heart maybe not is is not in the right spot, and and you don't want Christians to follow them and be led astray, which we've seen happen. So um, yeah. you know what what's what are some ways you would advise somebody to discern if somebody is genuine or just kind of out it, out for it for themselves? Oof, that man, that's a hard question. Cause it, there's a couple, a couple things come to mind. I'm gonna try to organize my thoughts on the fly here. The first is the longer you are around the Christian fame complex, the more you just sort of develop a nose for these things. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you can avoid cynicism, like I, I have, I have a, a cynical bent that comes naturally to me, not a, not a great character trait, <laughs> but if I can avoid that. And so I'm trying to be open-handed. There's a new famous preacher who pops on the scene or a new author to just kind of go, okay, well, this person deserves a chance, but, but you can kind of get a sense for what, um, what is the genuineness of the, of the person of the message. And that's hard to describe. It's more just sort of like, it's a bit of a litmus test kind of thing. You're like genuine article, not genuine article. And then, but, but in reality, it's time that bears that out. Somebody mm-hmm. pops on the scene. You're like, well, give it a couple years if, or seven years or 10 years, like see, see where this goes. The, the other thing that comes to mind is if, if the person is saying pointed biblically true things without falling off into the ditch on either side, the ditch on one side is, when it gets hard, they stop taking risks. Mm-hmm. So they actually back off their stances. And you see a ton of people do this when it comes to issues of, um, you know, sexuality or social justice or anything that is a hot button topic. They 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 back off. Mm-hmm. The other side of the ditch is the battle axe. So pointed biblical truth, and their brand is to be a total jerk. Yeah, like I'm just proclaiming the truth, and I'm like you know, it's, it's not untrue, but nobody wants to believe you because you're a jerk. There's a, have you seen the movie, the big Lebowski? Yeah. There's a line in that movie that quintessentially sums up so many Christian sort of pound the table truthers. Uh, when, uh, so Walter Sobchak, the Vietnam, uh, war vet, who's just an abrasive personality. He's having an argument with the dude and he's like, am I wrong, dude? Am I wrong? And he just comes at him over and over. And finally, dude just goes, no, you're not wrong, Walter. You're just an a-hole. <laughs> and uh, I feel like that. So that's the other ditch. On the yeah. one hand, you have the 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 compromisers, and on the other hand, you have the you're not wrong. You're just an a-hole. Yeah. And so the genuineness is the people who will hold the biblical line without tipping into the the ditch of um, of aggressiveness or or backing off of it. And, and I just, there are some measuring sticks that I think of that it, human measuring sticks that I look at and I go, you get, you get people like, um, like Tim Keller, who's somebody who's, who's done this for a long time. Right. And he has people come at him from both sides, people further right and people further left who hate him. Yep. And he holds the line and he's not picking fights and he's not insulting people and he's not dishonoring people and he's not, you know, um, taking secondary issues and making them, you know, you're not a real Christian unless you vote X. Nope. He, he pretty much makes it about Jesus. Yeah. Uh, you have guys like J.I. Packer and John Stott uh, who are both dead now 
but who did that? Eugene Peterson did that. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of, you know, I think, uh, I think in the end, we'll look at somebody like Beth Moore and say, she's done the same thing. Now, Beth is a much more like vivacious personality, shoots from the hip a little bit more than, than those other guys. But right. when it comes to holding the line on biblical truth, I haven't seen her back off a single conviction. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so there's like, you look at that, that, that to me is, is the, the greatest measuring stick. And those are the kinds of people that I try to, um, I, I try to emulate in terms of, I do not want to be a coward and I do not want to be a jerk. What does Christianity look like without tipping into those two things? Uh, that's, that's a really good perspective. And I, I appreciate the, those examples. I think Beth Moore is definitely somebody that I've seen just, I mean, I follow her on Twitter and and I've see people that attack her and I've seen some of the replies uh, to her tweets and I, I don't know that I would do as well at responding to that as she does. No. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, yeah. She's, she's remarkable the way that his, and she catches way more crap yeah. than, than guys do. Like there's just yep. conservative Christian men are awfully mean a lot of the time and love to go after her. Uh, and then, you know, she catches it from the left as well because she, she still is a Bible believing Christian. And so she's not going to back off her moral convictions either. And she she maintains humility and faithfulness and and clarity. Man, that's hard to do. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a good example. Um, well, changing gears here, uh, I'm thumbing through your new book, Belong, uh, which it's it's a three part series. I'm trying to pull up the page here that has the three books on it. Uh, your your book is called Belong. There's another book called Gather and another one called Welcome, and it's part of the Love Your Church. Uh, love your church series. It seems like, uh, so mm-hmm. the book is called belong loving your church by reflecting Christ to one another. Uh, you are a, a pastor now, uh, at Emmanuel in Nashville. Uh, so this is obviously something that I, I would assume matters a lot to you and your church community, probably yeah. any church community, the, the idea of belonging. I know that's something that we talk about. My church has a young adult ministry, which I know not a lot of churches have that, that kind of the 18 to 30 something age range is, is often, I don't want to say neglected, but there's obviously there's not always a lot of uh, you know, resources mm-hmm. for that age group. And the big thing with us is is that the the idea of community is a big is a big thing for our group. And so finding you know a place where you can belong and be a part of, and we've really valued being a part of a really good small group here. Uh, we moved mm-hmm. to Bowling, we moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky, really toward the end of 2019. So we've been here a little over three years, and you know a lot of our friends from college don't live here anymore. So making new friends, finding belonging, has been a big thing. Uh, walk me through th- this book uh, and how this series came together and how how you were, I guess, you know, were, were you asked to write about this topic? Yeah. How, did, how did this all come about? <laughs> yeah, so I think it was late 2020 or early 2021, Tony Morita, uh, who's a pastor in North Carolina, uh, wrote a book called Love Your Church. And it was it was aimed primarily at uh, church goers, just the, the reasons to commit to in church and the timing of it was, I mean, I think it was kind of accidental, um, but, but really profound because it was, it was coming out of the shutdowns of the pandemic. So people are making decisions whether or not to regather, uh, mm-hmm. with their people. And, um, and, and then, and then also one of the most contentious political climates, that we've had in this country, yeah. at least in, in our lifetime. Right. And so there's a real division. And so love your church is, 
an, an, an invitation and a rationale for why this is worth being part of and what it looks like to be part of despite you know the 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 difficult climate the love your church series basically takes that book so tony wrote pretty concisely pretty pretty just just biblical clarity eight eight or nine chapters about this this series takes each of those chapters and expands it out with different authors writing them so tony wrote gather um the one of, i think the first book in the series basically saying it's Here's why we come together as a church. Jen Oshman, uh, who um, is at a church in Colorado, um, wrote Welcome, you know, what it looks like to be a welcoming church. And she's, uh, she's you know, uniquely suited to that and a great writer. And then I wrote Belong, which is, I'd say, the more, the more nebulous of the three, because mm -hmm. the first two are actions and the third one is the state of being. Right. Um, you know, like, what does it look like to belong? I don't know. Let's figure it out according to the Bible. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, they... Uh, they reached out and asked me. So it's the Good Book Company is the publisher, and Acts twenty nine um, is al also all of us are part of Acts twenty nine Churches, a church planting network mm -hmm. globally. So in, it, it's a partnership of them. So they they reached out to me and said, "Hey, would you consider writing Belong?" And uh, it's the first time I've been I've been asked to write a book. The other ones that I've written have been my idea, mm -hmm. um, and I was really. I mean, I was really excited and really uh, privileged that they would ask because because of the quality of um of the other writers and then because of the significance of the task i mean writing yeah. about what it means to be part of a church is on the one hand for a pastor it ought to be really simple but not if you want to do it well especially yeah. not in a climate where church feels more optional today than it ever has mm -hmm. um it's not it's not woven into the fabric of culture anymore. You know, there was a time where, where the rhythm of church going was kind of the norm and it was, and it was fairly uh, other parts of culture functioned around that. There's a reason things were closed on Sundays. There was a just, you know, I remember growing up, there was no youth sports on Wednesday nights because that was church night, stuff like that. Like, that's all gone. Nobody cares anymore. Yeah. So the, but, but the, the church is still God's idea. So what, what does it look like to, invite people and paint a picture for people of what it means to belong to a church and why it's worth it. Yeah. Um, then on top of all that, you have the questions of, well, man, the church does some horrible things. The church hurts people. Yeah. You know, I was at a church and the pastor had an affair and failed. And like, all of us have stories like that. Either we were there or we're, we're you're never more than two degrees removed from a church that's blown up. Uh, right. If you're a Christian. Yeah. So again, why is it worth it to belong to a church if that's how it goes sometimes? How do we answer those questions? So all of that weighed into the 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 significance of this book for me. And then kind of the uh, the cherry on top was just my own personal experience. And I write about this in the introduction of really discovering what it means to belong to the body of Christ at my current church, Emmanuel. Um been part of the church my whole life. Um, and I, I've never not been part of the church. Right. Um, at various points, I have really disliked the church, but I've always known that this is what God wants. It just kind of sucks sometimes. Yeah. And, um, and so to get to a, to get to a context where the life of the church, the life of genuineness in Christ is such that I go, Oh, Oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. You know, yeah. not perfect, but a pursuit of 
Christ that's genuine and humble. So that that flavored it strongly as well. And also as part of the reason I was like, if if I, I can share some of what I've learned and invite people into this kind of context, this will be this will be worth it. Yeah, I, I, that's that's all good. I think you brought up some points that kind of make me think of our own situation here. I mean, when COVID hit, obviously churches were going, uh, I guess, digital and they were using their digital means to do that. And our church was pretty well equipped where we had live streaming options and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and my wife and I have been guilty of this too, where some Sundays, you know, if if we're tired, we'll stay at home and watch it online. And, and we don't really feel great about that. We, we would much rather be at church. And I know that um, that's kind of been a contentious debate over the last few years is, you know, yes, you have the capability of watching it online. Our church has embraced this ministry because we do have people that watch from all over. And we're part of this yeah. team that uh, we're basically online hosts. So when people watch it, we can engage and, and communicate with them as if they were mm-hmm. in, in, in church, but they're not always like that. And, and uh, I guess how, how important is it now? I mean, we're, we're in 2023 and, and obviously people can have the choice of going and watching church online. Uh, but it's, it's different whenever you're in person, you're with the body of believers in in, in person. So from your estimation, I mean, just getting back into the building, being in physical community with people, how how much, how much benefit do we get from that versus just kind of being at home, watching it on our computer? Yeah. Um, well, and, and Tony addresses that some of that in his book gather and would strongly encourage listeners to check that out. All these books are short, like 100, 120 pages. So they're, they're, none of these are impressive, but to, to answer your question, I think, well, let me, let me start with a caveat. Uh, online church is a great benefit right. when it's a necessity, not when it's a choice. Yeah. So for, I think about like moms with young kids or parents with young kids and, you know, kids are sick six months out of the year and it's, you know, like October through April or whatever. They're just runny noses, fevers. So if you have three kids, the odds of you being at church are not great on any given Sunday. So for you to be able to participate in a way with your church family is a huge blessing. Um, I live in Nashville. We have touring musicians. We have quite a few or people who are just in the music industry. And a ton of stuff happens on the weekends. So being present at church is not always possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to participate. Again, so when it's a, when it's a necessity, it's a blessing. Um, when it's an option, I think I would rather eat waffles, drink coffee and sit in my pajamas and watch church. You're not part of the church. Just yeah. real frankly, that's not, that, that's not, I mean, you're getting good, good content, but the church is not content and the, the church is the body. The church is a family. The church is, is a building. The church is God's plan and purpose. There's a mission aspect to this. None of that exists when you passively absorb it voluntarily online. Mm-hmm. And because those other people that I'm thinking about who do it out of necessity are, are finding ways back into community as, as soon as they can and as often as they can. So mom or dad of young kids, like their kids are going to get, you know, the kids are going to get better and then they're going to be back at church. Their kids are going to get better and then they're going to be at small group on Wednesday or whatever the touring musician comes to the midweek things or is part of a community group on the Monday through Thursday that he's in town, that kind of stuff. So there, there's a genuineness in, in participation in the body. So, yeah, I, I think, I think it is utterly essential to, to be physically present as much as it is up to us. 
Mm-hmm. And if you are unable, you don't need to feel guilty. That's, you know, you didn't choose that. But as much as it's up to us, because there is a, there's an arrested development on relationship when there's not physical proximity. Yeah. You know, even the best. So my wife is excellent at keeping up with friends long distance. And there is still a limit on the experience of that friendship. Yeah. You know, phone calls, FaceTime, whatever. Because the moment they're back in the same space, it's like fireworks, you know, relational fireworks. The laughter is better. The stories are better. There's just sort of, you kind of get that that physical, um, like just how we exist in the same space, comfort level. There's body language. There's, there's all of these things that that the full human experience. And that's just, you know, that's just a tiny little example. When you get into the realm of corporate worship, when you get into the realm of confession, when you get into the realm of of forgiveness and reconciliation and unity, there's no unity when there's digital distance. Yeah. There's just silence. You know, we just don't argue about this. Yeah. Unity means looking somebody in the eye who you know you disagree with and saying, well, that's my brother or sister in Christ. It's like, yeah, we voted for different parties, but we love the same Jesus. Yeah. So then we're going to walk into the sanctuary or the worship center, and we're going to praise that Jesus together. And we're going to confess sins together because he and I, both sinners, both in need of the same Christ, that's unity. You don't have that if yeah. you're if you're physically distant and just absorbing the same information. Yeah, I think that, that those are good points. You touched on something, I guess, a little bit earlier um, where you talked about, you know, there are people that, that have been hurt by the church. Maybe they're, they're just turned off by the church for, for whatever reason. Um, but I know I've been into, I've been in a a number of churches and youth group organizations where some places did better than others at welcoming Mm -hmm. and and making people feel like they belong. Uh, some, some churches that just to be frank, they can be pretty clicky. Uh, they, they, you know, they, it's just, that's how it is. It's almost like whenever you're back in grade school, it's, it's kind of clicky. And, (laughs) and for some people, for some people that can be a turnoff, but then on, on top of that, some people don't have the personality to initiate conversations or insert themselves to say, Hey, I want to belong. They're waiting for someone to come and invite them. So I guess kind of a two-part question here. First one for churches that maybe struggle with that at, at welcoming people, uh, which I know is probably part of another book as well, but welcoming people, how can they, how can they do that better? But then if you're, if you're somebody who maybe is a little bit more passive, um, what, what is some encouragement you would give to them in terms of, reaching out, finding resources at the church to get plugged in so that they can feel like they belong. Yeah. On the church side of things, you know, in terms of welcoming better, the, uh, there's our founding pastor to manuals, Ray Ortland jr. His father, Ray Ortland senior was a pastor for a lot of years in California. And he, he had a, a sentence that has become sort of paradigmatic for us in terms of how we seek to, to be this sort of welcoming church. He said, there's two ways to walk into a room here I am, or there you are. And you want, you want as a Christian, you want to be a there you are person where you're walking in and you're noticing others because that just puts you in the position to, to fold them in, to notice who doesn't, who doesn't fit, who doesn't feel like they fit, who that kind of thing. And so there's just, there's the, the eyes up, you know, this Philippians would say, consider others needs as more important than your own. That's pretty that's not a human characteristic. That's a supernatural characteristic. That's an element of the Holy Spirit. So clickiness in the church is, I mean, you're right, it's pretty normal, but it's emblematic of, of reverting to the more human instinct and not the more Christ-like instinct. Yeah. 
because the Christ-like instinct is friend of sinners is I mean, the only people that Jesus was pretty, uh, pretty harsh towards were those who thought they didn't need Jesus. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the, those who were like, I'm, I'm good to go. And even then when they sought him out with humility, he welcomed them. So like, the, the posture of Christ is come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's so how we, we in every practical and theological way, push our churches towards the Christ-like posture of there you are and have come to me and of welcome. And part of that, and this, this, this feeds into the second question you asked, part of that is that we do not get to show up to church thinking about what does church have to offer me? Yes. All of us are needy when we show up to church and sometimes it's more profound than others. Yeah. Like we show up, we are exhausted. We're going through the worst time in our lives, but even then our responsibility is to have eyes on others, not just go in and woe is me and how will people fill me up? And the math of this, it works out great. If all of us go into church, putting others needs before our own, then that means that we have an entire church looking out for our needs and we're, we're just one person putting out. So, you know, the, the return on that investment is really significant. Yeah. Dozens and dozens of people looking at us and going, man, you look like you could use prayer or encouragement or a meal or whatever. And, and so, we, you know, we go in and pour ourselves out and we actually get more filled up because, and that only happens to the previous question in physical proximity, when people can look you in the eye, the answer to your second question in terms of how can people who are more reserved, or it feels like a greater risk, or they've been hurt, um, and, you know, kind of get, what steps can they take to get into the community of a church? The short answer is it always feels like a risk. Yeah. It, it, it just simply does. Um, the one thing we can't do is wait for people to come find us. Now at a really good church, they will at a really healthy church. But again, if you're, if you're at a church of two or 3000 people, the odds of that happening are less. There are more people, and which means you're just more likely to be unnoticed. Mm-hmm. It's not personal. It's just math. <laughs> so you have to take the risk of walking up to the, I mean, not just any old stranger, that might be super weird, but like the, the connect desk or the info desk and just saying, hey, I'm new here. How, how, what's the best way to get connected? Is there, is there a new person's class where I can go learn about the church? Is there like a young adults, like get together, like a young professionals get together? Is there small groups? And hopefully, hopefully that church doesn't just say, here's a list of our programs. They say, man, we're so glad you're here. How did you get here? Tell me a little bit about your story. Let me introduce you to one of our elders or one of our small group leaders or one of our whoever's so that there's a human connection, but then you have to press in. You know, the, the thing that I see at, at our church, so our church is, uh, we're, we're between 800 and a thousand on a Sunday. So good size, but not massive. And it's real easy for people to get lost. Yeah. But the people who thrive are those who, again, this is a two-way street. We, we would like to see all of our people looking for the new person. And we have some, we have a lot of folks who are awesome at that. But then for the new person to also say, what do I need to do? And so they seek out connection and then they persist. That, that first small group meeting was a little awkward. Well, yeah, it's like a first date. 
you don't even know who you're talking to here. This is just yeah. sort of a like, who are you? I don't know anybody's names. How does this work here? So go back for the second one and there's a level of familiarity and they're going to be like, man, we're so glad you're back. And there, you know, you can, you, you take the risk multiple times, but the, the bottom line underneath both, both the, the church posture that folds people in and the individual posture that says, I'm going to take the risk is having the, having the reality in mind that, that the church is the body of Christ and I am a member of it. You know, Romans 12 says it is uh, we are a body with mem many members and we are members of one another. Well, that goodness, that's, that's a sentence right there. We are members. We, we are part of one another. There is a connection between Christians in the local church. That is a supernatural reality, which means, which also means we're not whole without one another. So as a church, when a new person walks in, this is God bringing wholeness. This is another, this is another addition to the wholeness of the body. Yeah. And as an individual, you get to walk in and think, I need these people and I matter to them. Like they need me, not in an arrogant way, but in a, that's, this is the, this is what belonging means. You belong here. You fit here. You know, if you're putting together a jigsaw puzzle and you get to that last piece, it, it belongs in that spot and the whole thing comes together. It just, that's the spot for it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of that sense. I kind of like, I mean, I don't know if this was intentional, but the design of the book, I mean, it's got all these different shapes that kind of, you know, they look mm -hmm. like they fit together. And I guess as you're kind of talking there, yeah. that's what I'm envisioning at least is like, yeah, you know, the, the pieces do fit together. I think this book is going to be a huge encouragement for, for churches, but also for churchgoers. And really the whole series, I think I'm excited to read the other books as part of it. Um, I, I just I just partnered up with the, the Good Book Company to kind of be mm -hmm. a book reviewer for them. So I'm hoping to, awesome. to read, the, read the rest of these and, and maybe even talk with a few other people that uh, that work, talk with Jen and uh, Tony as well for, for, for their books. But yeah, this book is going to be a great encouragement. Um, and then the happy the happy rant book, I encourage anybody that <laughs> is interested in some uh, some humor, but also some good uh talk about biblical topics and, and just cultural topics to, to get that book as well. Uh, Barnabas, the last question I always love to ask, you know, it, as the show is called in no hurry, um, as you're, you know, it's, it's the weekend as we're talking right now, what are some things that you love to do uh, right now in this season of life to just kind of relax and slow down life and things like that? I'm the worst right now. at slowing down in life. Uh, I, it, not, not necessarily because I just love being busy, but because, of two teenage kids and they have full lives, uh, mm -hmm. in a great way. Like they, they get to, they get to be teenagers. Um, and then church is full. Uh, the things, the things that help me slow down are, uh, taking the time to read. And when I say taking the time, I don't mean like, Oh, I hope I have time. I mean, like, no, I'm just, I'm going to intentionally do this for 30 minutes or an hour. Um, and then the second is intentional time with friends, because I find that those are times that even if they're, they're uh, high energy, you know, for just, you know, having dinner or whatever, and it's very high energy, the phones are away, the work is off the table, there, there's no task there. It's just, it's just enjoying, you know, connecting with friends, uh, along with my wife. And, and so those are really the two things right now that I'm like, I don't, I don't know what else I have. To, I don't know what else I have the capacity for right now, yeah. but taking, making the time to read and intentional time to get together with friends and just, just enjoy relationship. Yeah. What are you, what are you reading right now? 
Um, I so I just reread, or I should be more accurate. I just re-listened to yeah uh, the first two books in the Bear Town series by Frederick Bachman. So Bear Town and Us Against You, and then late last year he came out with a book called The Winners, which is the third book in that series. So I just cracked it open yesterday, and I'm excited. So I I love back uh, Bachman's fiction. He's he's one of the best human right like writers of humans that i have ever read and just sort of the the complexities of humanity and stuff so he's he's uh for people who don't know he's a swedish author and there's something about the uh the scandinavian authors they just they seem to have a way more level-headed approach to humanity which means they can be way more honest about the ugly stuff and actually yeah. give more dignity to the good stuff and so there's there's just sort of a richness to it. So I'm that's I just cracked open the winners by Bachman yesterday. I'm excited to get into it. That's cool. Do you find that you read? I, I guess I, I read a lot more nonfiction Christian living books. That seems to be what I gravitate toward. And then like baseball books. <laughs> that's kind of like my sweet spot of where I <laughs> yeah. Because I, I taught English at the high school level for five years. So like my fiction intake was so much during that span of life yeah. that like like all these books behind me are my wife's books they're all fiction books she's a big huge fiction reader mm -hmm. um i just would prefer to read nonfiction books that i that i can not that i can't learn from fiction but i like to to read stuff that has more practical teaching tools to it what do you tend yeah. to gravitate toward do you, i mean you're a christian writer and you work at a church do you read a lot yeah. of christian living or do you have a balance um, it's, it's about, so I'm also in seminary right now, which is another reason I don't have a ton of time for, for not doing stuff. Um, but so there's, and there's a lot of assigned books now, yeah. thankfully the vast majority of the books I'm assigned are ones that I go, I, I I'm glad I have an excuse to read this. I You're probably right. would have wanted to, and maybe never gotten around to it. So there's, and so they're, they're pastoral books. They are, they're books for the soul. Generally speaking, what I, when, when I have the margin, I try to I try to be reading about four or five books at a time, uh, kind of from different genres. So yeah. uh, a novel, one that's maybe more historical or biography or something like that. So nonfiction, but not, you know, not a teachy book. And then one that's more of a book for my soul. So um thinking like Paul Tripp or Eugene Peterson or something like that. Yeah. And then one that's more of a book that, that it in some way is sharpening me. So it might be a book about writing. It might be a book about ministry, but it's more of a, a skills book, if you yeah. will. And I mean, those are loose categories, but uh, right now it's basically fiction and seminary. Those are, those, those are my two reading categories for the most part. Yeah, that's cool. I just I just finished a book by Elizabeth Elliot, and then I started another one. And I guess she's a Wheaton College graduate as well, like you. So yeah. um, I, I've really enjoyed her her reading, and it pairs a lot with obviously your book, Help My Unbelief. Was was I've talked to you about how influential that was for me? But she's she's written a book about suffering. Actually, it was interesting. It was a series of talks that somebody found and turned into a book uh, about yeah. suffering. And then I just discovered another book of hers that was about asking God why. And I was like, these are all very pertinent. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that seems to be where I, where I hang out more. I do have some good baseball books, the MVP machine. If you're into a baseball book, that was one of the best that, that I've read. Ben, is that Ben Badler? Who wrote it, that? It was, uh, Ben Lindbergh, Ben Lindbergh and Travis Sawchick yeah. is who wrote that one. Yeah, so yeah. it's really long. I listened to it. I also listened to the book cheated, which was about the Astros scandal, mm -hmm. but it also like you're a baseball fan. It went back and talked about yeah. Uh, electronic sign stealing going back into like the early 1900s. Like you wouldn't believe yeah. in the primitive days of like electricity and electronics, they were still like, like Bobby Thompson's shot heard around the world was the result of electronic sign stealing. So it was a pretty fascinating <laughs> take 
to look at like just the history of it. And then Keith Law, I don't know if you ever, if you know him yeah. at all, he's a baseball writer. His books are pretty interesting too. So I, I, I like to, I have oh, a couple. He's, he's a, he's a cranky one, at he least his cranky. online persona. He's a, he's a curmudgeon, which I, I find great delight in. Yeah. So another baseball book, you, you probably have run across this one. Maybe you even read it. Uh, the, I think it's just called the baseball 100 by Joe Posnanski. It's a good one. It's a good one. If you, if you're limited on time, because yeah, it's just, it's basically his take on who he believes are the hundred hundred greatest players. And so there's some, some statistical nerdery, some like baseball legends. He's just a fan and, and a smart fan, but each one is like four to six pages. Okay. So it's, you know, which makes it a really long book, but you can, you can do it in bite-sized chunks and it's a really delightful read. Yeah. That's cool. That's almost like a, um, the greatest generation book by Tom Brokaw, where it's like just profiles yep. on people. It's really long, but yep. it's just kind of profiles on people. Well, that's cool. That's, that's good to know. I, uh, yeah, I, I, when it gets to around baseball season, I've got a couple of baseball books that are in my audible library that I'll, that'll start up. There's another one that was about the Astros, yeah. which I don't necessarily want to read about the Astros, but it's fascinating to look at their run of success and kind of the scandal that's gone with it. Speaking of former Astros, your boy, Carlos Correa, what was your take on that whole, uh, drama of him going to two different teams only to end up back with your Minnesota twins. So to keep it real short, had the twins signed him to their initial offer, which was something like 10 years or 12 years and 280 million, I would have cringed and been like, Oh, this is, this one's going to hurt in a few years. And after all that other mess, and then they, I just assumed he was going to sign elsewhere because he did twice. (laughs) Um, And, and, uh, and then when he came back and it ended up basically being a six year deal for like, and with, with de-escalating salaries, so yeah. he'll actually be a way better value in four years than he is right now, or at yeah. least a more affordable. And I was like, oh, this is like the best of all possible worlds. I was thrilled to have him back on that deal. That's great. Yeah, that is a great deal. I, I got a chance to go to that stadium last year for the first time with a friend of mine. Uh, he, he was living in Iowa at the time and he was like, Hey, twins are, are playing. Do you want to go to the game? I was like, yeah, I've never been to that stadium. So yeah, I, uh, I, beautiful. I ended up buying a Kirby Puckett t-shirt and then I bought, I had to, nice. I, I bought a hat, but it was the old nineties M, which I think I've seen you in mm-hmm. pictures wearing the same one. Cause I was like, that's what I yeah. grew up knowing the twins as was that the oh, M, yeah. like the line under it, not necessarily the, the yep. twin cities logo, but uh, that beautiful stadium. I, I really liked it. Especially if you can go during the summer where it's not too cold. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was really nice. Yeah. You, if you, if you can get there in like late June, mid July in a night game, you know, so it's been like 90 all day, but then it drops into like the low eighties at night. It is a, yeah, it's, it's a little picture of heaven on earth. Yeah. We had to, we, we got seats in right center field above the tall, like scoreboard wall, mm-hmm. uh, which was, we were in the front row, which is great. But then we ended up walking I always love to take a picture kind of up high above home plate whenever I yeah. visit a stadium. Yeah. And that was just a beautiful view. Cause you have like, it's, it's a very compact stadium. Like it's, it, it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't go out wide as much as it is tall. And so it was, a, it was a, yeah. it was a unique visual experience from up there because the, the, the stands are kind of on top of each other, but it's, it's, Really pretty, really, yeah. really beautiful part. So and then, yeah, and then the Minneapolis skyline is just beyond that right field. So from home plate, looking down the right field line, yeah, you have this this uh, downtown vista. It's yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, Barnabas, uh, if people want to connect with you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, you've got a website and you're on Twitter a lot and things like that. But how, how yeah. do you uh, prefer people connect with you? Um, yeah, my website is barnabaspiper.com. Um, I'm not much of a blogger, but I'll post stuff there periodically, sort of, a you know, you can find podcasts and books and the recent things that I've written there, uh, Twitter at Barnabas Piper. Um, that's probably where I'm the most active and interactive. 
And then I'm on uh, Instagram at Barnabas W. Piper. And uh, I enjoy Instagram the most because there's a lot less fighting that happens there, but uh, I'm probably a little bit less active there. Yeah, I, I, uh, I tried to cut out social media this month, but I'm a journalist and it's hard to be off of Twitter yeah. because I have to use it so much for my job. Uh, but it, I, I've really not been on Instagram at all. Uh, we're, we're talking right now in January and, um, you know, I, I've not really been on Instagram at all, but like, I never really spend that much time on Instagram. I spend way too much time on Twitter and it's just not, it's not good for my yeah. soul to spend that much time on there, but <laughs> it's like a necessary evil. Yeah. Cause like I, I connect with sources and, and find stories on Twitter that like, and it's good to promote my work. And, and you had a, you had a tweet a week or so ago that I think really summed up my, uh, presence on Twitter where you were like, I would drop this app right now, but I, but I have things that I talk about and write about that I feel like are worth sharing. And that, that's kind of yeah. where I'm at. It's like, I, I would drop it now if I didn't feel like I used it for, for that purpose. So. Yeah. It's it, which is disappointing to me because for a long time it was social media at its, it seemed like sort of bringing out the best in it, you know, it was interactive. You could, I, I, I've actually met friends there you know so you you interact with somebody and then you meet them in person at a conference or whatever right. like, oh this is like i have a new friend out of this and now it is uh it's a bit of a it's a bit of an angry cesspool but still yeah. one of the better sort of information sharing vehicles which is yeah i don't know feels a little bit like a deal with the devil right now yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i agree with that well barnabas it's always uh it's always fun to talk with you thanks for coming on the show again and uh, again anybody listening I, I recommend these two books belong and the happy rant podcast book along with barnabas's other books which you can find i assume on on your website i, I assume what links to all that mm-hmm. is on your website too so so check that out check out the happy rant podcast and uh yeah barnabas we'll, we'll have you on again i'm sure sometime down the road but but thanks again it was nice talking with you yeah thank you Thanks again to Barnabas for joining me this week. I always enjoy having him on and catching up with him. So hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Just some programming notes for the show. We'll be switching to an every other week format. So every other Monday, you can expect a new episode in your feed. That's just kind of the right rhythm for me right now with what I've got going on with work and some other projects that I'm working on. But in the meantime, I would love for you to stay in touch by following my newsletter. You can find a link to that in the show notes and would also love to just connect with you on social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything. So feel free to reach out and connect with me there. You can find links to my social media in the show notes as well. But that's all from me this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. And I hope you guys find some time this week to relax and not be in a hurry. And we'll catch you next time. 